Today, we are going to begin a new series on the life of the Apostle Paul. Actually, we are resuming a series of sermons that began last year. So if you're new, um, I will let you know. But those of you who are last year, remember, 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 we talked about Paul along, for a long, long time. Do you guys remember that? So over a year ago, <clears throat> January 3rd of 2022, we started a series on the life of Paul, and we preached on the life of Paul until September 25th of 2022. So the first nine months of last year was Paul, 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 Paul. We were mostly in the book of Acts. Um, we, it wasn't the whole nine months. We took a two-month break uh, in like May and June. But of those first nine months of last year, most of them were on the life of Paul. Um, we spent about seven months on his life, and we covered about two-thirds of the story as found in the Bible. Um, and then October came. And this is what's happened since October. So on October, we started talking about the topic of doubt. Then we did a series on heaven and hell, and then on Christmas. And then when the new year started, we talked about the mission of our church, and then we did a series on marriage. And so now we are picking up where we left off in the life of Paul, but it has been over six months. Like in order to cover all those topics that we wanted to cover, we've taken a more than six-month break from the life of Paul, which makes me realize that we cannot just pick up where we left off. I can't just go to the verse that we were last on and read it. Okay, in fact, I will, let's, let's, for fun, let's do it. This, this is the next verse if we were to just pick up where we left off. Um, and after spending some time there, he set out traveling from one place to another. Okay, and if I just started with that, no one, I don't think there's anyone in this room that's gonna be like, oh yeah, after spending some time there. Like, I think that all of you are gonna go, where's there? Like, I don't, I don't remember. Um, I don't remember where we were in the story. So, is that true? Yeah, you don't remember. I said what I said to one of the people in the back booth. I said, you know, as much as I wish everyone just like took notes and studied everything I said and loved it so much, like I just, I know, I know there's no one that remembers where we left off. So, I have a present for you. We're going to review the story, okay? For those of you who weren't here, that's the kind of enthusiasm I want. Who are you? You get to stay at this church for 10 more years, whoever it was. Yes. Okay, so... Um, so for those of you who are uh, new and you just started coming these past six months, this will be good for you because I will catch you up so that we can pick up where we left off and you won't you know, not know what's going on. And for those of you who were here, this will be a reminder for you so that you can get your mind back to where we were. And the way that I'm going to do it is using this handy-dandy map that we have. So here's the story. I'm going to try to quickly cover what we covered in those seven to nine months. The story of Paul's life begins right here in a town called Tarsus. As best as I can tell from the information we have, that is Paul's hometown, okay? Um, Paul also goes by the name Saul, okay? So he's Saul of Tarsus. This is, I think, where he was born and where he spent his childhood years. There is kind of a, I guess, Christian myth that his name was Saul for a while, and then um, he became a Christian, and then God renamed him Paul as his Christian name. Um, if you read the story, that's actually not what happened. He, the, the story actually just says he went by Saul and Paul. Okay, they're just, he had two names, and it looks like they, it's a, the difference between the two things are, are, are their language differences or cultural differences. It seems like Saul and Paul are similar to John and Juan. And so uh, it looks like he uses different names depending on where he is. Um, so this guy Saul, or Paul, um, as best as we can tell, grows up in Tarsus. However, there is an indication in the story that he was educated down here in Jerusalem, so what I'm thinking happened is probably he spent the first 10 to 12 years of his life here, his childhood, and then he went off to school. 
Okay? He studied um, in Jerusalem under a guy named Gamaliel. At least that's what I assume. He definitely says that he studied, un, studied under the rabbi Gamaliel. And Gamaliel is talked about in other places in the Bible um, as someone who was in Jerusalem. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. So I can't imagine that he traveled to Tarsus to train um, little Saul or Paul. What probably happened is his parents like, sent him to school in Jerusalem. They sent him for training. So he would become a Pharisee, a rabbi, a teacher of the law. So Jerusalem was kind of like what happens when parents like send their kids off to boarding school or like when you go off to college, right? It seems to me that Tarsus is his hometown and then Jerusalem is his college town, okay? That's where he goes for his training. So then, as best as I can tell from this point on, um, that verse doesn't have to be up there. We can have the map. Oh, you're trying to do the map, okay. Has the map not been up there the whole time? Oh, well, you can hardly, this is so tiny. How will you see this? You're fixing it? Okay. Ah, all right. Okay. So, hometown Tarsus, Jerusalem is his education town, his college town. And then probably what happens next is he goes back home, okay? Just like a lot of college students when they're finished with their years, right? They go back home sometimes. So I think that's what happened because in and around Israel probably after the time period that he would have been trained by Gamaliel, Jesus shows up and does about two to four years of ministry that was very significant, okay? He had rocked Israel's world and then eventually spread and rocked the whole world. Jesus did miracles. He claimed to be the son of God. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. He rose again. He ascended to heaven. After he ascended to heaven, and he had all of these followers who were going around telling people that he died on the cross and rose again and that he was the predicted Messiah from the Old Testament. And that made a huge difference, especially starting in Jerusalem. So the very first Christians were all Jewish people and they were all in Jerusalem. And there were thousands of them right away after Jesus ascends to heaven. Thousands of people who are talking about Jesus, thousands of people who've converted to Christianity. And Christianity didn't have a name yet. It wasn't called that. It was called the way at the time. But there were thousands of followers of the way in Jerusalem. And at some point it looks like Paul, Saul of Tarsus, goes back to his college town and notices that the vibe has changed. Like he was familiar with this city and then goes back home and then visits it again and goes, what happened while I was gone? There are all these people that are talking about Jesus. First time I was here, never heard anybody talk about him. Now I come back, that's all anybody's talking about in this town. Thousands of people who were like good, nice Jewish people suddenly turned into these religious fanatics talking about how the Messiah has come and not just come, but he's come and already gone. And, and I think as best as I could tell, Paul, didn't, he didn't buy that. That sounded ridiculous. Wait a minute. So, so here we are in Jerusalem, which is where I, where I was, got my religious training. I went home and I come back a few years later and you all are telling me that while I was gone, the Messiah came and left. Well, yeah, that's what happened. Do you even know what a Messiah is supposed to do? He's supposed to come and fix everything. The Messiah is supposed to come and make Israel this wonderful nation and throw off all oppression. Like if the Messiah had come, the Roman Empire wouldn't still be in charge. There wouldn't be a Caesar, right? And the world would be much better. So there's no, this Messiah that you think came and left, like he couldn't have been the Messiah because when Messiah shows up, he's going to do, he's going to fix everything. It's going to change the world. So you guys must be wrong about this, right? And they said, no, no, we're not wrong. We saw some of this stuff. And so they went around and kept telling everybody. And so he got very frustrated and started persecuting them, okay? Super persecution. He started, uh, he was happy when they were stoned to death. He would go and find people who were Christians and just once he found out that's what they believed, he would go and throw them in prison. Like he was, he was like the number one persecutor of Christianity, which was in just a small region at this point. 
And so if there were a movie made of this point of the story, and if the movie were made from the Christian point of view, like Paul would have been the villain of the story. He is the bad guy that everybody was worried about. Whenever there was a knock at a door, everybody hoped it wasn't him. He was the villain of the story. After he persecuted just about everybody he could find, he ran out of people to persecute and decides to travel to this town, Damascus, to find more Christians to persecute, right? I finished this town, let me go find some other ones. So he goes to Damascus because at this point, Christianity is spreading to nearby cities. And so he hears there's a bunch of them that aren't getting hassled in Damascus, and so it's his turn to go there. So he's traveling to Damascus, and something crazy happens. This is a famous part of the story. Jesus appears to him, and he all of a sudden changes his mind about everything. He was sitting there going, there's no way that Jesus is the Messiah. That's not what he would have done. And then the the Messiah appears to him from heaven and blinds him and, and talks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so he becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. He realizes, whoa, those crazy people, those Christians, the followers of the way, they were right. He really is the son of God. He really is the Messiah. He really did ascend to heaven. This is, this is true. And he goes from being the number one persecutor of Christianity to being the number one preacher of Christianity in an incredibly short period of time. I mean, when the way you read the story, it looks like there was a day where he is riding to Damascus to like kill and arrest Christians. And about a week later, he's in the synagogues proclaiming Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he goes back to Jerusalem, but he's got a problem at this point because now no one likes him. Like literally nobody likes him because the, the group that he was just a part of, like that were like the, hating the Christians and persecuting, they don't like him at all because he has now defected. He's a traitor. He just joined the other side. Like the people that were hassling, he's one of them now. So they don't like him anymore. And the Christians don't like him either. Why don't they like him? Because he was the villain of the movie last week, okay? So when he's like, hey, can I come over? No, you cannot come over. None of us like you. We watched the movie. We know what you do. None of them wanted to hang out with him at all. So none of the Christians wanted to have anything to do with him. None of the Jewish people who were upset about how they felt like Christianity was a perversion of their religion, they didn't want to have anything to do with him either. There was one guy that was like willing to give him a chance. Anybody remember his name? Yeah, Barnabas. Barnabas was the one guy that was like, let's, let's see. And so Barnabas eventually gets the Christians to be on Paul's side and to accept him. And it's good because it was just in time because the other side wanted to kill him. And just as they were about to kill him, the Christians helped rush him off to this port right here. And they got him on a ship just before they were going to kill him. And they sent him on a ship back to Tarsus. And the story takes a long break there. As best as I can tell, he must have stayed in Tarsus for about eight to 10 years. We don't know it for sure. This period of time in the story, scholars call um, Paul's silent years because the story doesn't say what happened. It's just he gets on a boat headed for Tarsus and then it just moves on and all this other stuff happens and all this other stuff must take place over the course of about, about a decade. And then the next time we hear about Paul, it's when Barnabas goes to Tarsus to find him to ask him for help. And when Barnabas goes to Tarsus, Paul's still there. So I don't know, maybe he traveled a little bit during that time, maybe he vacationed, but I'm just saying, the one scene we see is he's headed to Tarsus, and then about eight to 10 years later, he's still there. What did he do in the meantime? We can only speculate. Probably he had to do something to make money, and it looks like his um, job was that he was a tent maker, okay? So he was a leather worker, and he would create these things out of leather that people would be able to live in. So I'm guessing he was the mobile home manufacturer in Tarsus. Okay, or one of the mobile home manufacturers in Tarsus. And we also know enough about his personality that there's no way that's all he did. He probably told everybody he could about Jesus. And it looks like maybe even churches in this area got started during that time because of him. Anyway, the story picks up with Barnabas going to Antioch 
and becoming the pastor of the first multi-ethnic, multicultural church. As Christianity spreads from Jerusalem, you get to the point where now it's not that every single Christian <clears throat> is also a Jewish person, right? What you have is Gentiles that start to become uh, Christians. Antioch is the first place where that's like a big deal, that you have Jewish people and Gentile people who are both Christians and they're worshiping together. Like in history, that had never happened before. Jewish people were always like, whoa, those are the people that believe in other gods and we don't worship with them. And then suddenly they are worshiping with the Gentiles who believe in Jesus. And taking these people who are, have drastically different religious backgrounds and cultures and having them all together worshiping God together, I mean, it was, it's a wonderful thing, but I think it probably created a ton of drama. Okay, because you just have people with a very, very different backgrounds. You've got people in... Um, in this church who are worshiping, and, and they're worshiping alongside of people they've been tell, told to avoid for a long time. You've got people in this church who are worshiping, and as they're thinking about what their duty is, like here's like one example is they would say, oh, well, I don't eat pork. Why don't you eat pork? Pork is bad. Pork is bad. It's always been bad. Dad said pork was bad. Granddad said pork was bad. Great-granddad said pork is bad. It's in the Old Testament that pork is bad. We don't eat pork. Okay, you've got people in the church that believe that, and then you have Gentiles who've just become Christians who are bringing pork to the church potluck, and so all this stuff has to get worked out. It was probably very difficult. So Barnabas, at some point, goes to Tarsus and says, Paul, will you help me pastor this church? It doesn't say why, but I'm guessing. The reason he picked him, well, first of all, because he remembered that he was like the super Christian preacher that was really, really interested in telling everybody about Jesus. <clears throat> he remembered that. He also knows that Paul is a, a Jewish man trained by Gamaliel in Jerusalem. He's going to very much be able to relate to the Jewish part of the congregation. But he's also someone who grew up in Gentile territory, right? Not down here in Israel. So he probably understands the other people too. So Barnabas and Paul and like three other guys all pastor the church in Antioch for about a year. <clears throat> At the end of the year, the Holy Spirit like shows up audibly and says to Paul and Barnabas that they need to go on a missionary journey. They need to go on the, on the mission that he has called them to. And so they leave, I guess they leave the church in the hands of the other three pastors, and they go to this port, and then they travel to this island right here. And they evangelize this island. They go around Cyprus telling everybody on the island of Cyprus about Jesus, okay? Now, these would be people that probably hadn't heard about Jesus, because again, it's, the news is just down here and it's, it's starting to spread. And so they, they go over to this island and go, we got to tell these people about Jesus because they don't know. And they did. And then they got on a boat here and traveled up here. And then they started to um, <clears throat> evangelize this region known as Galatia. This is an important region because later on there's a book in the Bible that's called Galatians and it's written to the people in this region. So, but the reason it's written to the people in that region is because they were Christians who cared about Paul. And the reason that they were Christians who listened to anything Paul had to say is because Paul went there and told them about Jesus. So he shows up here and he goes to this city right here, Antioch and Pisidia, and then Iconium, and then Lystra, and then Derbe. And each place along the way, he tells them about the gospel. These are people who'd never heard about Jesus. They didn't know about the Messiah. They didn't know about the gospel. And so he goes around and he tells all these people about Jesus and they become Christians and churches, like groups of Christians form in these cities. He then goes back the way he came and goes back to Antioch, and that's the beginning of mission trip, or that's the, that's the completion of mission trip number one. In the meantime, that Jewish Gentile thing that I told you about that was like brewing earlier comes to like full-on fight. So there are people from Jerusalem that go up to Antioch, to Antioch and start saying basically this, you can't be a Christian if you don't become a Jewish person first. You convert to Judaism 
and then you can believe in Jesus. But you got to follow all of the ceremonial rules and the codes for the Israelites that are in the Old Testament, particularly circumcision. That was a really big deal. You have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Okay, circumcision in the Old Testament for the Jewish men in particular was an important thing because it was the sign that they were worshiping the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, the God of the Bible. Okay, that was the way they showed it. I say they showed it. I don't think they showed it a lot, actually. <laughs> you know, it's something that's done to a, your private part, but nonetheless, like, not, they didn't show it, but, but it was the thing that showed, like, I, we are different than everyone else because we follow this particular God. And they said, and you all have to do it too. And I guess some of them went, I don't want do that too. And then the question was, well, do you have to? And and specifically, do you have to follow? It looks as though Paul and Barnabas believed that there were things in the Old Testament that would apply to the Gentiles, moral laws, like don't murder and don't lie and don't steal. But, But not every single thing that was for the Israelites was meant for every single Gentile. And that's not what some of the other people thought. So there was a big argument about it. This argument was so big, it got a name, okay? It was called the Jerusalem Council. Paul and Barnabas actually go down to Jerusalem to to have like an official debate, argument, dispute to settle who's right and who's wrong, along with the people who were with Jesus, like Peter and, you know, James and those people. Okay, so that's, you know that an argument is a big deal when it gets a name. Okay, so Jerusalem Council happens, and the determination is, no, you don't, you don't earn your way, you don't have to do all of these works, and particularly, you definitely don't have to follow every single thing that was required of the ancient Israelites. So at some point around this time, Paul actually writes a letter that we know of as Galatians, He writes it to the Gentiles in this area to tell them, you don't have to be circumcised to be saved, okay? And I'm imagining some of them probably went, woo, okay? And they kept believing in Jesus. So then Paul and Barnabas go on a second missionary journey. So they're in Antioch, and Barnabas and Paul at this point split. Barnabas goes to Cyprus again, and Paul goes by land to Galatia again, and he ministers to the people in this area but he doesn't stay there forever, okay? He goes and he ministers to these people, but Paul's concern is there are people out there that don't know Jesus yet. There are people who now know Jesus, and I wanna help them in their faith, but there are people over here who haven't had a shot. There are people over here, they don't know that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't know that they need to believe in him for salvation. And so what you will see in the story of the life of Paul is he keeps trying to go west. He keeps trying to go deeper and deeper into Gentile territory, farther and farther into the Roman Empire, farther and farther away from home, trying to find more and more people who don't know Jesus yet so that they can know. And by the time we get to this end of this third series on the life of Paul, we're going to see that he continues to go and continues to go even off the map as he goes just further and further into Europe, trying to find people who don't know Jesus yet to tell them about Jesus. So in this particular second journey, after he's done in Galatia, he travels further on in because he wants to tell these people who don't know. He goes to Philippi. Then he goes to Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth. And he spends a long time in Corinth. I didn't actually go back and look, but I think it's like two years or maybe it was one, one or two years. Ugh, I want to look so bad. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be perfect. Okay. Anyway, he's in Corinth for a while. So now he's telling all these people on this peninsula that they called Macedonia and Achaia, and we now call it Greece. Um, He's telling um, these people all about Jesus. And then he takes a boat and goes to Ephesus real quickly, spends like, I don't remember, a weekend there or something, not very long, and then goes back home. And that's what we learned during the first nine months of last year. Okay, That was the life of Paul. So now when we pick up where we left off, which we are doing now, here's the verse. And after spending some time there, where's there? There is Antioch, 
the home church that he goes back to after every single missionary journey. After he had spent some time there, he set out traveling through one place after another in the Galatian territory and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So what's on this um, board right now in red is what we did last year. So now I'm gonna switch my pen color to green since that's an option. And I'm gonna put the new stuff. So this is all last year. Now we're gonna put the new arrows on the map for what's happening in this time. So he leaves Antioch and he goes to what territory? What does it say? He goes to the Galatian territory. And Phrygia, Phrygia is to the west of Galatia where he had already like done some things in his second missionary journey. So um, he goes around in this area, okay? It says he went traveled one place after another. I don't know what order he went into, so that's why we just have a curly cue. I'm not saying that he went in a curly cue. I'm just saying he went somewhere around in here for a while from one place after another in the Galatian territory and in Phrygia. That's the first thing he did. And the thing that he did while he was there was strengthening all the disciples. And I want you to notice that little phrase, strength, strengthening all the disciples, because it's going to matter later on. So he strengthens the disciples in this area. Now let's move on to the next part. Verse 24 of Acts 18. A Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was powerful in the use of scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. Okay, so that's this town right here. Okay, Apollos arrives in Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught things about Jesus accurately, although he only knew John's baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him home and explained the way of God to him more accurately. When he wanted to cross over to Achaia, which is this area right over here, um, the brothers wrote to the disciples, urging them. Now, keep in mind, how are their disciples over there? Because Paul had already been there and made disciples. Okay? They wrote to the disciples um, over there, urging them to welcome him. After he arrived, this guy Apollos, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating the, in, through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. So these verses right here, Acts 18, verses 20 through 24 through 28. Um, I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time on those verses because they are not about the topic at hand, which is the life of Paul. What this little section is, is it is an aside. What I mean by an aside is, like, you know how when you're watching movies and TV shows, there's the main plot and there's the main characters and they're doing their thing and then every once in a while it like goes to commercial break and then when it comes back, it shows some, some whole other scene with people that are not the main characters. And after a little while, it cuts back to the main characters again, right? You've seen this? Yeah, well, it's weird. Like seven of you have watched TV before. I don't understand <laughs> why are there not more heads nodding. That's what's happening in this scene. So we've got Paul, 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 and then there's this little, there's little, this little aside that talks about what happens with Apollo. So I read it because it's in there. And I also read it because it does affect the way we're gonna understand the next part of the story when we get to, when we get to Paul. Um, but what happens in this little section is um, these Christians that Paul had, had worked with in Corinth named Priscilla and Aquila helped this guy named Apollos become a better preacher. And then as he becomes a better preacher, they send him over to Corinth. So you've got this good Christian preacher in Apollos who leaves to become a Christian preacher in Corinth, which is a place where Paul had been. And then at the same time, or right around it, you've got Paul going on his third missionary journey. He has strengthened the disciples in Galatia, and now, and this is where the, the Apollos part matters. Now let's go to Acts 19, verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to where? Ephesus. So this is where we add this part to our map. Okay, so it looks like as far as the timing goes, 
Paul leaves Corinth and goes to Antioch. Priscilla and Aquila go over to Ephesus. They help this guy Apollos become a better Christian preacher. Then Apollos leaves for Corinth right around the time that Paul is showing up at Ephesus. So Ephesus has a good Christian preacher who leaves. Around the same time, another Christian preacher shows up, right? Paul shows up shortly after Apollos leaves. So that's the timeline. And that's as far as we are going to get in the story, as far as the plot line of the story. That's as far as we're going to get today. Over the next three weeks, we are going to learn what happened to Paul while he was in Ephesus. And it is a doozy of a story, okay? There are some things that happen when Paul is in Ephesus that you are going to want to come back and hear, I think. Um, There are things that happen in Ephesus that are crazy. There's two stories in particular. One of them involves demons and naked people. And then there's another one that's even crazier than that one. And um, that story, the first time you hear it, which if the Lord wills, we'll get to that in about two to three weeks. Um, if God allows, I want, to do, I want to spend three weeks on what happened in Ephesus because there's so much in there that happened in Ephesus. Um, and one of the things that happens is so crazy that the first time you read it, I think you're going to go like, whoa, that is so crazy. And then I think the second time you read it, you're going to go, whoa, that's actually the kind of crazy that is happening nowadays in our culture. And come back, come back, come back. <laughs> that's what we're going to get to. Okay, so... For today's sermon, I want to go ahead and end. We've kind of covered the storyline. What I want to do is I want to end with a point of application for you. And the point of application comes from verse 23. So if we could have verse 23 back up there. This is what Paul does at the first part of his missionary journey. He set out traveling through one place after another in the Galatian territory in Phrygia. Those are areas he'd already been to. And what did he do? He strengthened all the disciples. As I was reading this and thinking about it, I realized what he must have done in that one verse, I realize it only takes like three seconds to read that verse, but it must have taken months to live it out. To strengthen all the disciples in one place after another after another in Galatian territory and the territory in Phrygia. I know enough about the culture at the time and the modes of transportation and the geography of the region to tell you it took days to get from city to city. We live in a culture, you just hop in a car, you can go to a city like Gainesville for the afternoon and come back, okay? Not an option there. If you were back then, if you were in a city like ours and you wanted to go to a city like Gainesville, it took all day to walk there. And then once you got there, you didn't just go back. Like, it took a long time. We're hanging out here for a while. And so it took days to get from city to city, which meant when he got to each city, he probably stayed there for several days or even weeks, And if he's spending weeks in each city and days in between getting to each one, and he's going around from place to place, we're talking about a verse that even though it takes two seconds to read, it took months to do. He spent months strengthening people who were already believers in Jesus. And so this is what I wrote in my notes back when I studied this passage in January. Okay, I re-looked at this passage this week, but it was back in January where I took some study leave and studied through the book of Acts. And this is what I wrote down at the time. I said, here Paul begins... And I say begins, I mean begins his third missionary journey. Here Paul begins with discipleship, strengthening the disciples. And he moves on to evangelizing new territory later. So, strengthening people who already believe must be an important ministry all of its own. Evangelism is not the only ministry. And I feel like I have run into pockets of Christianity that think evangelism is the only thing that matters. And then I have seen the other opposite extreme as well. So that's what I wrote down. Here's what I meant by that. What I meant is it seems to me that there are some Christians that are more wired toward evangelism and some Christians that are more wired toward discipleship. 
there are some Christians that, that realize there are people out here that don't know Jesus yet. We need to make sure these people know about Jesus, right? We don't need to waste time getting stronger and more mature. Like we need to make sure that these people don't go to hell because they don't, because they don't know that there's a savior that they need to believe in who will rescue them. And so there are people who say, we need to evangelize people who don't know Jesus yet. And then there are people who are more wired toward discipleship and they go, no, these people that just met Jesus five minutes ago and they need to be able to know how to live their lives. They need to be able to grow in their faith. They need to mature. Someone needs to like take them under their wing and help them to become stronger. And if they're not careful, okay, if you got people that are leaning toward evangelism and you got people that are leaning toward discipleship and the way that they serve God, if these two groups of people are not careful, they can almost end up sneering at each other. Have you seen it? Yeah, because yeah, I have. Sometimes you end up with a really extreme version where you have someone on, which was my evangelism side, this side, when you have someone on this side who says things like this, and this is a real quote, okay? You may have heard this before. There's a pastor said this one time, um, and it became famous. No one has the right to hear the gospel twice while there remains someone who has not heard it once. Have you heard that before? Now, it's an interesting quote. No one has the right to hear the gospel twice when there remains someone who has not heard it once. You can tell that the person that says that obviously has a heart for evangelism. They're going, wow, telling people who already know about Jesus another time so that they can reject it for the sixth or seventh time seems like a bad way to live your life when there are people in Indonesia that have never heard the very first time. So you can understand that person's heart. And yet, if you really were to take that literally and apply it to your life, can you see how kind of extreme that is? No one has the right to hear the gospel twice. Like, don't tell anyone the gospel twice until you've told everybody in the world once. I mean, I can tell you for sure, when it comes to my children, I have not just told them the gospel once, right? There's no way that I just say, oh, let me tell you the gospel. And then, then later on, it's like, should I remind them? Nope, 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 because there's people in Indonesia that have, that have not heard the gospel, so I'm not gonna tell my kids ever again. No, that would, that would be malpractice in parenting, right? So of course I'm going to tell people in my life about the gospel over and over and over again. But you can see how someone who has a heart for evangelism might say that and then might judge people who are living a life different than them and go, look at those people over there. Maybe there's a group of people who are trying to take the Bible seriously and so they're studying verse by verse through the book of Romans. And someone over here is looking at that going like, waste of time. Why are you doing that? Why are you studying verse by verse through the book of Romans when there are people who don't know anything about Jesus? Okay. Lame Christians, if you're Christians at all, right? Can you picture it? <laughs> and then the reverse is true. I've seen people in this camp that look at people who are concerned about telling people about Jesus, sometimes even seeing the success of their ministry grow, and more and more people come to know Jesus. And instead of celebrating with them, they look over and go, yeah, well, who knows if those are even real. And all they're doing is just go and tell people about Jesus anyway. Pff, what kind of life is that, okay? The shallow, that's shallow Christianity is what that is. Okay, I've heard people say this, right? That ministry over there is an inch deep and a mile wide. Okay, and those people are not doing it right. You've heard people like say, love them and leave them. That's what they do. Okay, it's like save them and leave them, right? And they're just, they're telling the gospel and then they move on and these people are all immature and they don't know what to do next because all they know is the gospel. No, no, we're doing it right. We are meeting in the church basement and we're studying verse by verse through Romans like good Christians are supposed to do. Okay, right? That's what, have you seen that? Like, because other than the tongue sticking out, I've seen all of that, right? So here's the thing. These two ways of serving God do not have to be at odds with one another. They are not in competition. Rather, they supplement each other. And one thing that we see in Paul's life is that he was committed to both kinds of ministry. He was, and you'll see this all throughout the story, he was always itching 
to get to new places deeper in Europe to tell people about Jesus who had never heard before. And he had no problem spending weeks, probably months, strengthening people who already believed in Jesus and did not think that was a waste of his time. And so this concept can apply to our lives, I think, in these two ways. Number one, with us in this room being very careful not to criticize someone simply because they are gifted in a different kind of ministry than we are. And number two, I think we should take this passage as a sign that we should be committed to both of these ways of serving God. They're both important. Paul did both of them because he thought both of them were worth his life. And so if you are here this morning and you are an evangelism person, consider how you may strengthen your fellow brothers and sisters. And if you are here this morning and you are a discipleship person, do not forget about people who do not know God yet. We'll get to more next week, if the Lord allows. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the opportunity to catch up and remember all of the things that we learned last year. I thank you for the people in the room with me. And I thank you that we get to get back on this journey and learn these things. I pray that you would make us a congregation of people who are not quick to criticize other Christians who minister differently than we do. And I pray that you would help us, especially if we lean toward one way, that you'd help us to realize there is more than just what we've been doing. And so I pray you'd help some of us who do not spend much time strengthening other Christians. I pray you'd help us to do that. And I pray for some of us who are really good with hanging out with other Christians and we find it like, well, gotta go talk to somebody that doesn't already believe this. Yeah, because that's the way they're gonna know. And so I pray that you would push us in the directions we ought to go. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that it rocked the world of Jerusalem and Paul's personal world, and then over the years has, has rocked the whole world. And we thank you for that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again. We thank you for his grace, his salvation. And I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know him, they would come to know him very soon. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let me end with these good words from God's word. This is actually one of the last things Jesus said. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is good news.